why are we looking at that today? Because if you'll turn with me now back to our passage in Revelation, we are at the end of chapter 10. I'm just going to reiterate a little bit of what um, you studied last week and then into a, a, a challenging passage in Revelation chapter 11. Revelation, the last book of the Bible, chapter 10. And we're going to pick up again what you studied last week, beginning around verse 8. John says, Then I heard the voice that I heard from heaven speak to me again, saying, Go, take, and here's that, that scroll that was sealed, right? Take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. That's going to become important in a couple more chapters. And so I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And and he said to me, now uh, paralleling Ezekiel's experience, he said to me, take and eat it. Eat the scroll. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. The very words that the angel said to Ezekiel. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel, and I ate it, and it was sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And I was told, you must again prophesy. Now, the angel speaking to John, my challenge today is uh, is for us to understand that we are John. We are a follower of Jesus entrusted with the scroll, Right? You must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. Then moving into chapter 11. Then John says, I was given a measuring rod like a staff. And I was told, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. Now, whenever you see a plumb line or a, a measuring string, or here, a measuring rod. It's like God is saying, I'm, I'm holding up my standard against something, right? In this case, against the worshiping community. I'm holding up my standard against the worshiping community. But don't measure those outside the temple, right? Leave that out, for it's given over to the nations. There's going to be craziness out there, he's saying. They will trample the holy city for 42 months, the last three and a half years of Daniel's 70th week, and I will grant authority to my two witnesses. Now, we have a new new characters here in our story. Two witnesses. And they will prophesy or foretell God's word for 1,260 days. There's that three and a half years again. Clothed in sackcloth. In other words, in, in, with repentant hearts, they will proclaim the word of God. These are the two olive trees. He's making a direct reference to Zechariah chapter 4. And the two lampstands, again to Zechariah, that stand before the Lord on the earth. Oh my goodness, this imagery is powerful. Standing before the Lord are these representatives of the body of Christ. Remember in our first study months ago now of Revelation chapter 2 and 3, we saw Jesus walking among seven lampstands, seven representatives, seven churches who were given the, the gospel of the kingdom of God. 
now, in this, in this last moments, before the culmination of all of creation, um, God gives two witnesses, two lampstands, two olive trees. In other words, a constant source of oil for those lamps, a constant presence of the Holy Spirit in the city. And if anyone would harm them, verse 5, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their, uh, consumes their foes. Does that sound familiar? Do you remember when those 50 soldiers of the wicked king came to Elijah and said, um, king demands that you come. And, uh, and, and Elijah says, if I'm a prophet, then fire is going to come and consume you right where you are. And it did. And so the king sent 50 more. And they said, the king demands that you come to his presence. And, and, um, and Elijah said, if I am a prophet, that should have been a warning. Uh, then fire will come and consume you. And it did. And the king sent a third soldier with 50. And the guy says, please, please, don't consume me with fire, right? I think that's a Hebrew way of saying, don't shoot the messenger, right? Um, my king demands that you come. And God gave Elijah permission to come. Yeah, it's a direct allusion to Elijah, right? I just want to stop for a second and say, in our study of the book of Revelation, we have just over 400 verses. But we have over 500 allusions to the Old Testament. Do you remember, I'm sorry, I'm getting excited, and you're thinking, did he go into the sermon already? No, this is the sermon before the sermon. Okay. Do you remember when we were, um, we were studying the parable of the soils? We'll get to see that later in the summer again. And, and Jesus, Jesus said, he quoted Isaiah, and he quoted a part of it, and didn't quote the whole thing. But everybody who heard him, their mind fills in the blanks. It's like when you hear part of a commercial and you can finish the commercial, right? Um, the book of Revelation's purpose is to draw you back into the entirety of Scripture. Because from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22, right, is one message, one story. And so here, again, we're seeing several examples of that. I'll stop preaching and read the scripture. If anyone would harm them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. If anyone would harm them, verse 5, this is how he is doomed to be killed. They have the power to shut the sky so that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. Does that sound familiar? Exactly what Elijah did. And look at this. And they have the power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as... Does that sound familiar? Revelation is a mystery. And anyone who says this is exactly what it means is probably walking on thin ice. Uh, I, I believe that in his mercy, God is going to give these two witnesses as literal people who will show up in the tribulation and give at least 144,000 people an opportunity to repent and to come to the Lord. But it is so clear that we don't need to wait till those two people come because we have the law, we have Moses now. 
We have Elijah now. The law and the prophets was God's way of saying the entirety of the word is speaking. Now, we don't have to wait till the end. We can welcome the kingdom now. Verse 7, and when they had finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. Let's not pretend that this is not going to get ugly, right? And their dead bodies will lie in the street of that great city that is symbolically called Sodom. Wow. And Egypt. Wow. Look at this. Where their Lord was crucified. This is Jerusalem, right? Now called Sodom and Egypt for their lack of repentance. For three and a half days, some of the peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. It's the ultimate insult to not bury the dead, right? And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents because these two prophets who had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. What? What do you mean a torment? The truth of God is a torment to those who are far from God. And, and these prophets have faithfully been bringing God's word. But, but the same thing that might cause you joy causes other people amazing distress, right? The two prophets had been a torment, verse 10, to those who dwell on the earth. But after three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice saying to them, Come up here. And there it goes again, right? Remember Elijah the first time? And they went up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies watched them. And at that hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. 7,000 people in Jerusalem were killed in that earthquake. We saw another earthquake in Jerusalem, didn't we? When Jesus Christ was resurrected, right? And the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. I would love it. I would love it if this meant that the remaining 63,000 people in Jerusalem at that time repented. But as we've seen so many times, every knee will one day bow, right? Every tongue will one day confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That does not mean that they will be saved. Um, There are many who with their hardened hearts will go to their graves even in the presence of such witness because they did not repent. John says the second woe has passed. That's the sixth um, trumpet that, that Kyle spoke about last time. Behold, the third woe is soon to come. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of our uh, excuse me the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our lord and of his christ and he shall reign forever and ever is anybody else here in 
um, the Messiah, Handel's Messiah, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces, worshiping God, saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who was and is, for you have taken your great power and you have begun to range. All of the nations raged, but your wrath came and the time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. And God's temple in heaven was open and the ark of his covenant was seen within the temple and there were flashes of lightning. There it is again, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake and heavy hail. The very word of God. Wow, wow. This has been a blitz, hasn't it? So many images bombarding us. Let's pray together. God, we need you to help us understand what you want to say to each of us through your word. That you have given us a little baptism of what is to come. Jesus in Matthew 24 told us that this would be a very, very difficult season. And and now in Revelation, we just see again the magnitude of that which is to come, particularly for those who don't yet know you. So God, open our hearts, would you? For those right now who are living under the condemnation of sin, grant them. Grant them, God, the courage to genuinely repent, to say, this is what I've done, but this is not who I am in Christ. God, grant through your Holy Spirit that that we might understand the grace of Jesus Christ. Grant that we might understand our forgiveness and that we might choose, God, to live out of that identity our identity as your precious children and not as the accuser would say uh, of our failures and our sin, not as our own flesh would cry out, those who have fallen short of the glory of God, not as the world would condemn God and ridicule, but as your precious children. I thank you, God, that if we will risk believing your word to be true, we will experience that mercy and grace. God, I'm so grateful for the myriad times when I have experienced that exactly when I needed it. God, I pray that we would not only experience your forgiveness and grace right now, but that also we would hear your clarion call to not just John, but to all of us who who have been set apart for the ministry of the gospel, God, every follower of Jesus. I pray that we might proclaim the greatness of this gospel. I pray that we might add our voice to Isaiah's, that we might add our voice to John's, that we might be able to say with those in in heaven surrounding the throne. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. Would you say that with me? 
he shall reign forever and ever. Would you say that one more time with me? He shall reign forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Yeah.
standing just for a second. Um, It's really important that you get comfortable proclaiming what might be an uncomfortable truth. Does, Does God reign? That's a reality, right? But you know what? It's going to be a little harder to say that Monday morning in the office, right? It's going to be a little harder to say that sometimes when when the people are not as receptive. I just wanted to take a minute, if we could, and as Beth plays, and if, and don't worry if someone else is, is saying it. But I just want you, when you're comfortable, realizing you're speaking to an audience of one right now in the fellowship of loving believers to say out loud, God, you reign. God, you reign. Would you just say that however the Lord leads you? Say it out loud. Say it courageously. You reign, God. Oh, I praise you, God. Let's try that course. Just a cappella if we could one more time. watching online, uh, you're not off the hook. Whenever we do anything here in the sanctuary, we're asking you to do that at home, too. So if you didn't get a chance to earlier, look at your spouse next to you or your children and just say out loud, God, you reign. And we'll look forward to saying that together soon. Children, if you would like to join other children for a very special time of uh, worship and fellowship together, you may make your way to the back of the sanctuary, and we will look forward to seeing you again at the conclusion of our service. But I invite you to go back, if you would. Um, (laughs) I was laughing because um, I gave Kristen two chapters to preach on a couple weeks ago, and she did a wonderful job, didn't she? Um, I gave Kyle three chapters to um, do last week, and he did a wonderful job, didn't he? I'm taking one chapter today. But um, I'm grateful for their, um, for their faithfulness to the word. It, this is a huge book, and we've been in it for a long time. And it's easy to get overwhelmed, and it's dangerously easy to just check out and say, I'll re-engage when I get to something simpler. Um, but I'm so grateful that you are working so hard to understand with me and to wrap your brain around these scriptures. But I wanted to start today by just kind of reviewing a little bit of where we've been. Um, way back uh, last um, winter, we began our study of Revelation with that incredible vision of John to, to come and see what was to come in the future and what is at the time. And then, and then he received um, seven letters to, um, to circulate among seven churches of Asia, and we rediscovered together as we went through each one, that they were really letters for us right now. Because in some way or some aspect, each one of those letters to those churches relates to our situation, our circumstances now. 
But then uh, we um, took a break for Easter, and uh, we studied Daniel together because we realized that, that we're not used to this kind of literature. We're not used to apocalyptic literature that relies so heavily on symbols uh, to, uh, to proclaim truth. And so we went back and we picked up those familiar stories of the first six chapters of Daniel, but then we also picked up uh, 7 through 12 and, and that amazing um, um, introduction to apocalyptic literature. And uh, we may not have time today to go into it in depth, but you'll see echoes of Daniel in today's study. But as we began to look at Revelation, we realized that the number seven was very big for John, right? And just as there were seven letters to seven churches, then there, there also were seven visions that John got in the balance from Revelation 4 to 22 that we have been unpacking one at a time. Kristen gave us the first introduction to the vision of the seals, the scroll that was sealed. And, and I want you to understand, here's the, here's the key to understanding Revelation is that it is not sequential. In other words, there's the seven sevens. So there are not 49 more chronologic things that are going. But really, her introduction of, of the seven seals was an overview of the entirety of Revelation. And then, and then um, her... Um, then what we'll do is every time we go back and look at another vision, it will go back and and uh, look again at some aspect of those seven seals. So I want to suggest to you that there, um, there is a key to Revelation. There are three keys, really. Um, and, and this is just me trying to make simple something that's very complex. But one of those keys is that, that each vision is a repetition and yet intensification of all or part of a previous vision, the previous visions which have all been building on each other. So today we're concluding the trumpets. We saw the seals, seven seals, and now we, uh, last week, Kyle gave us the six trumpets, and, and now we are on the seventh trumpet today. But um, each one is a, a repetition and intensification of what we've already understood. And I want to just reiterate again what Kyle said last week, the trumpets symbolize something. Whenever you heard a trumpet in the Old Testament, it, it was one of two things. It was either the pronouncement of a judgment, right? Or it was the pronouncement of salvation. And the thing that struck me is like the bugle call of the cavalry coming to rescue you, right? That trumpet sound meant, meant destruction for some. It meant salvation for others. And, and so throughout the Old Testament, we see these trumpets, uh, the, the summary in Revelation, these trumpets um, uh, symbolizing judgment for some, but salvation for others at the same time. But I want to I encourage you as well and say, there's a secret here, a key to Revelation, and I, I believe it's actually a secret for us right now in in, in the sense that it's a secret to life in communion with God, is not found just in the trumpet calls, but in the interludes between them. Remember, when Kristen got to the sixth seal, there was this glorious interlude where we saw those very same judgments from the perspective of, of salvation rather than judgment. And the very same thing has happened here. I, I loved your imagery of nesting dolls, Kristen. Uh, should we get to the we get to the sixth um, the sixth 
seal, and it, it's really like one of those Russian nesting dolls. When you open the sixth seal, you get you get then all these other all, all these other trumpets, right? All encapsulated in that one. Now, when we get to the end of the trumpets, the same thing. The last one's a nesting doll, and it opens up to um, seven visions that will begin next week, and that'll be followed by seven bowls. We'll see these continued intensification and repetition. Thanks for holding with me in this in this very pedantic uh, aspect of understanding the book of Revelation. But just as God was working, right, uh, for six days, and then there was this interlude, there was this day of rest, so each sequence of judgments has an interlude following the sixth element. And, and in that interlude, we can find the answers to some of our greatest questions. Now, they've been coming at you but that you might not have been able to put them all together. Remember the very first one we did in Revelation 4 and 5? We answered that question, who is worthy? And, and it sounds like, like um, a limiting thing, but it's actually a very beautiful thing. There is only one who is worthy, right? There is only one. And what, the reason I'm rejoicing is because it takes the burden off of me. It's not about me. It's not about you. Jesus is worthy, right? And so all we have to do is put our trust in him, right? And, and say, even when I don't understand my world around me, Jesus, I trust you. You are worthy. Revelation 4 and 5. And then Christian asked that question, or Christian unpacked that question in Revelation 6 and 7. Well, well, when these judgments begin to happen, who can stand? And, and remember that glorious answer, those who put their trust in Christ will be able to stand no matter what the world throws at us, no matter what the evil one throws at us. The one who has put their trust in Christ will be able to stand. Now, in in our passage today, we ask kind of a third question. We take one step further. Not now, who can stand? Not who can stand, for we know the answer to that one. But how? How do we stand in the middle of what is to come? This is who the book of Revelation was written to, brothers and sisters. People struggling, struggling to live out the Christ life in the midst of intense pressure from the world. Now, no, again, Ephesians chapter 2, intense struggle from their own broken flesh, right? And those of you who, who struggle to find your place in this world, a, a Michael W. Smith song, um, uh, Jesus is your place in this world. For those of you who struggle with a voice of condemnation from within because you know you have fallen short of the glory of God, there's only one who is worthy, right? There's only one for those who have struggled with the accusations of the evil one. If everyone else really knew you, they wouldn't even be in the same sanctuary with you. Right? Right? I felt that condemnation. Yeah, I can tell a couple of you have too, right? Yeah. Hey, hey, Christ is our sanctuary, right? And I hide myself in him. So the question is not, can I stand there? I can because of what he did. The question is now, what will that mean for me, right? Because brothers and sisters are afraid, right? 
you might have experienced some of that. Brothers and sisters have faced attacks against their lives, against their families, against their livelihood, right? And, and they're wondering, what do we do? Do we stay? Do we flee? Do we go into the darkness with the light of Christ, right? If we stay, do we speak up? If we speak up, what happens to us? How do we stand in our faith in the middle of all this? The whole situation for the church universal now across the globe and in many parts of the world, and I believe very soon right here in, in the United States, the whole situation is going to bring Revelation home in a very real way. That's why we chose to, to immerse ourselves in this proclamation uh, during these six months so that we might understand how we can stand in the, in, in the midst of all of the struggle and turmoil. Well, what has Revelation given us so far, right? What have we experienced? I want to suggest to you that it's given us an amazing vision of a faithful God of a faithful God. And and one of the joys for me of reminding myself of the faithfulness of God is it began in Genesis and has continued through every travail that the people of God have experienced. God has been faithful, amen? He's been faithful to reveal himself. He's been faithful to let us know that we're not alone, that, that he's not surprised by the things that we're experiencing No, this is a part of his perfect plan. And and he hasn't always revealed the whole thing. Uh, To me, it just seems like this is just my observation. They're just revealing kind of one step at a time, right? And saying, Dave, are you going to step forward one step right now? I know you don't understand what's ahead, 10 steps, but but you don't have to, Dave, because I'm already there. He's been faithful to reveal himself. For those who have suffered, unrighteousness. He's been faithful to punish unrighteousness. This is the faithful God we serve. And you, you might be thinking, well, I can think of a couple things. That's, that's the message of Revelation. Just because he tarries does not mean he is not just. And there will be a recompense. Again, we have, if you're just visiting with us, we have unpacked the justice of God is, is that fundamental principle that people should get what they deserve, right? And then my mind immediately goes to all those voices of condemnation and say, well, I know what I deserve. I deserve death, all right? And, and so God is also merciful that he, that he doesn't give us what we deserve sometimes. And you say, well, how can that possibly be? Uh, he's still just, He just took what we deserved upon himself, right? And then then our ultimate definition of grace, that that he gives us what we don't deserve beforehand. He offers us a relationship with him. He offers us freedom. And the third one, if you haven't filled it in yet, is faithful. He is faithful to vindicate those who trust in him. He's faithful to do those things. So we've had this amazing vision of a faithful God. But today especially, and we've been seeing it all along through the disciple John, 
who's been this faithful witness, sometimes has absolutely flattened him. But today we see this vision of faithfulness in the absolute teeth of the great tribulation. We see this vision of faithful witnesses in the midst of struggle. And, and I just want to ask the question, what does a faithful witness, by this example, what does a faithful witness um, look like? Well, Kristen and, and Kyle have helped us understand from the previous four or five chapters of, of Revelation that, that a faithful witness prays. A faithful witness prays. And they pray, uh, again, we're used to praying for our needs. We're used to saying to God, um, God, I have need. And, and, and many of us are getting very comfortable just praising God and recognizing him for who he is. But here I'm talking about something very specific. A faithful witness praise your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Will God's kingdom come? Yeah? And we, we're going to make a strong case today for saying it's already here, right? But the fullness of it hasn't been expressed yet. Faithful witnesses pray, God, fulfill your kingdom now. Even No matter what that means, bring your kingdom now. And, and the whole witness of the gospel is that what was to have been, i got to do this backwards, I always do it wrong. So here's Genesis over here, right? What was to have been way over here, if we read left or right, way over here, uh, uh, at the culmination of time has moved over and at the cross intervened in history so that through what Jesus did on the cross, now the kingdom is available to us right now. We don't have to wait, right? Um, the kingdom is here now through every precious soul who opens their hearts to it and as we're going to see, opens their mouths and their hands as well. So, so what does a faithful witness look like? In, in um, Revelation 8, 4, we saw that a critical aspect that is praying the kingdom come. It will come, but God has, has partnered with us in such a way that, that we get to pray it into existence. But now at the end of chapter 10, we saw this strange dynamic where, where John was told to eat this scroll, right? And I, I, I don't know what imagery goes in your mind when you're doing that, but you're going, that's just strange. What is he, what is he saying? You remember when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, right? Um, his response to temptation was, man does not live by bread alone, help me, but by every word that comes. Wait a second. Are you equating sustenance like bread with, um, with the word of God, yes, yes. Consume the word of God, disciple. Consume the word of God. One of the reasons that I struggle, one of the reasons that you struggle with revelation is because you don't understand those 184 explicit quotations and 500 allusions to something in the Old Testament consume it. Don't, don't hear this as, as to-do list. But, but I, I, I just pray that God would give us such a heart for his word that we would hunger for it like we hunger for food. Right? We'd hunger for it 
And, and if we went a day without it, I can't go a meal without feeling hunger, right? If, if, if we went a day without the word of God, then, then our whole bodies would respond. We need your word, God. Consume it. Will it be... Will it be sometimes sweet? Absolutely. Will it be sometimes bitter in your stomach? Absolutely. Bittersweet is a term we understand and we have experienced in the last 16 months. Amen. Yeah. Pray, consume the word of God. And don't be scared of this word. I'm going to say it because it's a good word and then I'll try and unpack it. Prophesy. Prophesy. If you're just joining us, you might not have the background that we've come to understand that to prophesy is not to necessarily foretell, it's to foretell, right? All you have to do is share what God has shared with you. 13% of Revelation is, is foretelling something that has not yet happened. But 87% of Revelation is foretelling a truth that is already known. Something that God has already revealed. And, and this is the impact that I want for us today. This is a vision of faithful witnesses. Someone who's able to say, this is what I know to be true, right? Witnesses. Faithful witnesses pray. They consume copious amounts of God's word. Let me, let me put that differently. They consume enough to fully satisfy their hunger. Um, I don't expect that Judah is going to be able to... Well, that's probably a bad example because I think he can eat me under the table. But, but I don't expect that he's going to be able to digest everything I can. He's just not there yet. Um, so, so a full plate for him might be very different than a full plate for him. But consume a full plate, beloved, of God's word. And then speak it. Speak it. Um, There's just something powerful that happens when people speak truth, right? They speak and tell forth God's word. People's lives are changed. People's eternities are changed. Generations are changed when we do these three things. So let's make no mistake. Let's not miss the point of Revelation, right? The purpose of Revelation, we said from day one, is not to promote speculation about the future. The purpose of Revelation is not to promote speculation about, oh, is this going to happen next month? Is, you know, is it going to happen? How many times have we seen these false prophecies about when the Lord would come? That's not the purpose of Revelation. The purpose of Revelation is to compel action in the present. It's to compel action now, right? That, that we might fervently pray for God's kingdom to come, that we might faithfully partake of God's word, that we might fearlessly proclaim God's gospel to everyone, to everyone. Worship team, come on up if you would. Why, why are we so passionate about this? Because the physical and emotional and spiritual battles are, that are before us are fierce, are fierce. Look what happened to these two witnesses, right? They were killed, and then their bodies left to rot, right? Our battle is fierce. There are, there are demons 
which are minions of, of Satan, the evil one, fallen angels. There are demons who want to destroy you. There are forces fighting against you. But we are not abandoned to our own resources. Our prayers are effective, right? Our prayers are effective. Our cries go up, we saw last week, and God's kingdom comes down. Our God is faithful. He will demonstrate his power over the gods of this world. He will vindicate his people amid opposition of this world. He will extend his mercy to sinners around the world. And he will uphold his justice amid the sin of the world. So, beloved, you have in your possession the most treasured possession the world has ever known. You have the gospel the good news, and your purpose is very clear. Pray God's kingdom come, consume his word, and proclaim the gospel to every nation, beginning with your own street. Now, God, thank you. Thank you that it's not about us. Thank you that Jesus has modeled for us what faithfulness to your purpose is. But God, we confess that sometimes we've been so overwhelmed that, that, that we found ourselves doing nothing rather than simply falling before you and saying, God, bring your kingdom. Forgive us, God, that for the times when, when right in our phone or in this book that's sitting on our our coffee table. We had everything we needed for faith and for life. And, and we entertained ourselves with trivial things and sin. God, forgive us that like those lepers who discovered that you had overcome the armies of Midian and, and all of these riches were right there at their disposal. Thank you that that, that we have the same opportunity to share with the world this truth. You have paid the price. You have won the victory. You have come to reign. 